coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. We talk a bit about Doctor Strange, uh, Asia's vo- uh, choices for the Oscars, SPL2 prequel that is not SPL1, It Man 4 finally coming, uh, Netflix in Hong Kong gets some Chinese movies, and we'll be talking about A Chinese Odyssey Part 3 and Sausage Party. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting in sunny South Florida and sitting across the pond from me at his reviews desk in the Fragrant Harbor itself is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. How's it? Finally. Hey, how's it going? Yes, yes. It's been a while, although I'm still behind on editing. So by the time you hear this episode, it should be, you know, uh, in a concurrent week. But we have been on a bit of a hiatus uh, about three weeks, two election scandals later, and a hurricane, in fact, here in Florida. Hurricane Matthew that uh, came through, gave us a scare here in South Florida, but actually uh, did some significant damage a bit further up the coast in uh, Southern Carolina and North Carolina as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been a while since we've talked. So how's everything there in the Fragrant Harbor, sir? Um, it's it's very chaotic. It's very busy. Um, if you, I don't know if you can hear it, but we got, you know raging rain going on so actually i don't think the weather is much different than from florida um we've got another typhoon kind of on the way later this week it's been hot and i've been super busy i've done uh i think since we talked i've done two film subtitles already um and i've been to the busan film festival last week um so yeah and we watched i've watched quite a few films um so yeah it's been it's been pretty busy over here yeah unfortunately film wise not a lot on my front yet. We're still on the cusp of, uh, I guess, what we would call the holiday season films, which are going to start at the start of November. Um, so we'll talk about a couple of those films as we get further into it. Most of my attention has been directed at uh, some of the October releases, things like Luke Cage uh, on Netflix and a, a couple of other new series that have popped up uh, in TV time, uh, as it were, although I haven't started watching Westworld as yet. I've heard that it's an excellent show to catch up on, but it, it, the, the thing that surprised me this season for television, really, and I, I won't get off on a tangent here, but so many shows are based on movies this year. I mean, at least half a dozen shows are just movies that have been kind of <coughs> reinterpreted and remixed, and, and I'm just surprised that this is the direction that uh, television has been going, because so I was talking to somebody uh, as a mid-season replacement. I don't know if you got to see it, Kevin, but last year, I think in like January, February of 2016, well, this year actually, but in, in the mid-season of last year's television, right, uh, the mid-season replacement Rush Hour was one of the shows that they did, a, a television version of the Rush Hour film, not starring uh, Jackie Chan or Chris Tucker. Uh, and it got canceled, right? Uh, only, I want to say, not even a half a dozen episodes in. 
But, right, it's not very good, right? Yeah, and, and but this is the direction they're still going. They've got a lethal weapon. They've got a frequency. I think there's a time after time coming as a mid-season replacement. You've got an exorcist. Westworld is there, of course, on HBO. Um, and this is like the season of movies turned into television. Yeah, you think that... Oh, these are mostly network television, right? I think network yeah, television is sort of... Most of it is, like, you know, the frequency is, and I think the Lethal Weapon is also network TV. Um, I think Exorcist is is one of the cable channels. I'm, I, I don't remember if it was HBO or one of the other ones, though. Uh, but I think that we, we've sort of know by now that, that network television isn't, isn't exactly the place for, for you know, originality. Even now, I mean, a lot of the, 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 the shows that really changed TV as we know it um, were cable shows. I mean, because cable didn't play on that usual um, network season schedule and they were able to sort of bend the, the way that TV is made and that's what changed TV as we know it today. So, um, yeah. Um, I think that's that's I don't yeah, Lethal Weapon looks terrible and Rush Hour looked terrible. I didn't see any of it. I mean I saw like um some small things or whatever, but I never actually saw the entire thing. But um yeah, I don't I don't expect you know, just network television just sort of have to they have to fill these twenty two weeks. So I guess that's what's happened. Yeah, that's what's indeed, happening. Indeed. There's one show that I'm actually watching though. Um designated survivor um it's on abc in the states but actually netflix owns the rights to it for the rest of the world so we've been getting new episodes every week so um i'm already two episodes in and honestly yeah it, it's not you know it's not serious great television and it's weird to see for and sort of jack bauer being the being a politician right a politician doesn't really fight fight um terrorists anymore it's just sort of a serious politician it's a bit weird to make that transition but the show is reasonably entertaining yeah i've heard it's quite good i, I hope to maybe catch up on it uh, uh around the holiday period when things start to go into reruns and, uh, and i've got some free tv slots uh for other stuff so but we're not here to talk about tv of course we are here to talk about films so let me throw the ball over to kevin with this week's news <laughs> Here in the newsroom, um, a very quick Marvel release news. Um, Paul, do you want to cover this one? you want to talk about Doctor yeah. Strange? So Doctor Strange uh, is in Hong Kong, literally, because I, he actually Benedict Cumberbatch, who's playing the title role, was there, present. Some people had photos of him, I guess, there doing uh, press con and premiere release. But you guys are actually getting this on October 27th, which is a week, about a week from when we're recording here. Which kind of irks me. This was something that I used to love, you know, about being in Hong Kong is that we usually got the big Marvel releases about a week or more uh, before my friends in the States. But now I'm in the same boat that they're in because we are not <laughs> getting this until November. I think November 5th is the official release date uh, <laughs> stateside. So Mr. Ma will be enjoying this uh, time-wise in the future, well before I get a chance to enjoy it, right? Yeah, um... Well, yeah, actually, you were talking about the press. Con yeah, they were here for a press conference, and it was Asia, the Asia-wide press conference, because the film does have, I guess, a heavy Asian element to it, and they sort of have to do extra work to to sell. Unlike Ant-Man, right, which sort of explains itself, they have to send the stars over here for a big sort of a, a press tour. So there was a big um, press conference here, and Dudu Chan, Dudu Chan was the host for the whole thing, which is really weird, because, you know, anyone in Hong Kong knows Dudu Chan is, like, one of the biggest, you know, stars of a generation here in hong kong so it's weird to see her sort of becoming sort of taking a back seat behind the next to the hollywood stars and they also did a big red 
red carpet event outside the cultural center, but the film wasn't screened as far as I know. It was just a red carpet event where, you know, they showed up and they did the thing. And as far as I know, there was no premiere because, I mean, the film hasn't premiered in 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 the States yet. So obviously that's not happening here so in they, Asia yet. They didn't even um, press screening. There wasn't a screening yet. I'm hmm. assuming that the, the, the press screening, as always, will be happening, I think, um, pretty much on release date, which mm. is what hap- what's happened before, because it is the first place, uh, Asia is the first place in the world to get the film. So um, um, I assume there will be no like super early press screening just to avoid that sort of, um, I'm assuming that's the same time that American critics will get to see the film. But mm. um, yeah, there wasn't any press screening during the event. It was just a press con and just a press thing and a red carpet event you know where people meet the stars and they scream and they scream sherlock 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 but yeah um i honestly I, i'm not that excited about dr strange i mean just for me i because i have no connection to the marvel character i'm not into that whole marvel character I, I love all the marvel movies i i watch them open weekend always and i would do the same for dr strange uh um schedule permitting but um yeah i i just don't feel that excited for this one i don't know why yeah this is this is an odd character i think even for the mainstream audience over here uh entertainment weekly the current issue as of the time of recording has him on the cover and i think in one of the big bylines it says something like the 50 most powerful marvel superheroes ranked i haven't read the article yet but um of course, Doctor Strange is considered one of the one of the most powerful characters. It, it, you know, it's magic versus technology and that kind of thing. And I guess this is what they're doing to sort of set up the sort of cosmic thing that's coming, right? Because we're going to be talking about um, the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity War. They're breaking that into two movies, and you're dealing with big, powerful things that they kind of hinted at in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So this is, you know, this is the direction um, that I guess the final phase of the Marvel films are going to be going, where you've got a lot of heavy hitters and and Doctor Strange is going to be among them. All right, we've got another bit of news this week. We're turning back to Hong Kong, away from Hollywood. Um, But it's related to Hollywood in that it's about the Oscars, right? Yeah, um, so the um, Oscars has uh, finally announced the um, choices for the foreign language uh, film nominees or the 180-something films. Um, and, uh, of course, for our local interest, we're going to talk about what, what's been chosen around the area. Um, Taiwan has chosen uh, Hang In There Kids, the, the kids film that won uh, a few awards at the Taipei Film Festival earlier this year. Um, Singapore has chosen Apprentice, which is actually produced co-produced by Pan Ho Chen's company. Um, in fact, I just came back from a screening of that film, and Pan Ho Chen was there as, as a producer of the film. Um, and China is choosing um, a film called Xuanzang. Um, if you've flown on Cathay Pacific, uh, the September issue of the Ma- Discovery magazine covers that film. It is actually um, a, a film starring Hua Xiaoming about the monk that was um, that inspired the monk character in, in the Chinese Odyssey, or Journey to the West. Uh, story and this is real story. It's a real story about this monk who tr- who walked like sixteen thousand kilometers to India in search of the the um the sacred uh, Buddhist uh, scroll and, and brought it back to China. 
Um, doesn't sound very inspiring, um, I know, but it is a serious sort of historical film, um, and that was China's choice. Even though they actually had a film that went to the Berlin Film Festival, that was uh, Cross Currents, but they didn't choose that film. Here in Hong Kong, um, they chose Port of Call, the uh, award-winning uh, serial murder, no, not serial murder, sorry, murder mystery drama um, that won a bunch of awards at the Hong Kong Film Awards, except for Best Picture, of course. Um, uh, it's a very you know, respectable film, and we, we've talked about that film here before, and we like that film quite a bit. Um, and I'm just glad that Hong Kong finally chose something solid, unlike, uh, what was the last year, 2 to 4. So uh, I'm not saying that the film really has a chance. It's a very competitive um, um, category every year, and uh, this year, you know, uh, Korean set, Korea sent a very you know strong film, Age of Shadows, over, and of course you've got a couple of very strong contenders over in, in Europe. Um, like Tony Erdman, and in Canada, you have the Xavier Dolan film, uh, It's Only in the World. Um, and yeah, so the comp- obviously comp- the, the competition in Europe, and always, you know, the Oscar has always been sort of Eurocentric anyway. So uh, Protocol doesn't really have a chance, but I'm just really glad that Hong Kong has finally chosen a more solid film uh, uh, for, for the Oscars. Uh, Paul, what do you think? I mean, you think there were any better choices out there for, for the Oscars? No, I, I agree with you. I I mean, probably not for Hong Kong films, but I really, I'd be very surprised if it, if it picks up the Oscar because it's a great film. It just doesn't feel like something that the Academy would look at and say, "Yeah, this is going to be our pick for you know, uh, best foreign film." I am, I am curious about the uh, Xuanzang film. Um, does uh, Mrs. Wang Xiaoming have a role in that at all, or? No, apparently it's an Indian and Chinese co-production. So I think the, the so-called lead actress, if there is one, is is not going to be Mrs. or or Miss Baby. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so she's, yeah, she's not going to pop up as Gunyum or anything, right? And, and no, so. I don't. I don't think she's going to pop up as like an Indian uh, Indian beauty or anything. No, um, but I, I've unfortunately I've heard that the film isn't particularly good but it is in the in the um tokyo film festival so anyone who's who's living out in japan can catch that film at the end of uh, end of october um otherwise yeah um you were saying that you know it's not really a sort of a, a traditional academy choice i think the, that is sort of the problem i think the problem is these countries all sort of have their own idea of what the academy picks as their favorite film and these sort of assumptions often lead to very bad choices like um i mean you know they think shuan Zhang is a you know you know it's about it represents chinese values you know it's it has it's a very apparently it's a bit nationalistic in in, in tone and and you know shows off great beauty and you have a heart throb and you have a religion it's all exotic and they think that the academy is going to go for that crap but china has a history of picking very very bad choices uh for for these things so um no i don't i don't think uh and of course, this coming from a place that doesn't recognize religions officially. So there you have that to think. Ooh. <laughs> um, next Damn, bit of news. Uh, that's a good point, Doc. Back to uh, talking about sequel prequel films. Uh, SPL2 is going to be getting a sequel that is a prequel that is not SPL1 because the two films are not technically truly related, right? Right. Um, well, this one has a bit of a, a rocky history, actually, because um, and these all come some coming from news. Um, so the SPL2 prequel or sequel, whatever, um, essentially is a film that was made by the same team that, that got together and made SPL2. Um, 
or SPL, um, they were supposed to do an, a film in Korea, essentially. It was supposed to be a, a Korean, um, a shine Korea, Korean uh, stars and all that stuff. But because um, of the, the Chinese ban on Korean entertainment, uh, due to the Thad missile system, um, they sort of have to they sort of have to call a, a audible, and they decide to call up Tony Jaa, and they they decide to change the film into an SPL two prequel that's set in Thailand with Tony Jaa, and yeah, Tony Jaa wasn't supposed to be in the film, but now it's a Tony Jaa you know vehicle, um, um, an action film, and it's supposed to be SPL SPL two prequel set in Thailand, so they're all in Thailand now, and and they're ready to shoot, and then the Thai king passed away last week. Um, so the Thai king passed away. It's a very big deal for Thai people, and then they are essentially in mourning. They're the whole country is at a standstill. I mean, the stock market is still going, but people are wearing black. Government employees have to wear black for the next, I think, year. Um, um, the all ads had to come down. You know, tele, uh, entertainment entertainment uh, venues had to close down. No public events. And that includes, I guess, some of the, and that, of course, will affect a film shoot. Um, so right now, the, the the shoot for the prequel is slightly delayed in Thailand till the end of the month. Um, but it is happening, and the film is apparently being directed by Wilson Yip. Uh, so Wilson Yip, who directed SPL1, is now back in the director's chair, replacing Soi Chan. Um, and Tony Jaa is back, and uh, Max Jan from, uh, from SPL2. And also Louis Koo. So they're all in Thailand now, just sort of waiting um, and continuing pre-production, waiting for things in, in Thailand to sort of calm down and, and uh, sort of start shooting. Okay, so this is kind of weird because Louis was the villain in SPL2. Is, do we know, is he taking up the same role or is this going to be a new role for him? I honestly I don't even know if it's gonna be set in the same universe because you know SPL and then you have Flashpoint and then you have SPL two which is not really SPL two it's just a by a name so this so called SPL two prequel I think might as might as well just be another you know another sort of set in another universe kind of yeah. thing but I, I'm not sure so what it, the so it's not gonna the be thing the is. Tony Ja prison guard guy I have no I, I don't and, think and, so and his, um, his uh, what was his daughter who communicates through an app to right? wolves to wolves <laughs> <laughs> to wolves and, and through emojis yes. um um yeah I, I i i don't know i actually know someone who's working on a film but i'm not sort of that kind of access hollywood sort of guy and i don't know why i'm using access hollywood just because because <laughs> because of the scandal whatever um um but you know i'm not kind of the whole scoop kind of guy, so I'm not really asking for plot details from my friend, but um, in name, this is sort of the SPL2 prequel, or you could say SPL3, whatever. Um, but, yeah, who knows? <laughs> but all I know is that it's going to be a similar cast, and a sim cast, and Wilson Yip is back on board as director. Alright, well, there you have it. And then yeah. further sequel news, yet again, Donnie returns to the Ip Man well. That's right. And while Donnie is shooting Chasing the Dragon with uh, Andy Lau, the Wong Jing film, um, he's also announced on Facebook that he's teaming up with Wilson Yip on Ip Man 4. So um, there's no detail about or no solid timeline yet, but this is sort of a significant announcement. Um, despite the whole scandal of Ip Man 3 in China, the film still did extremely well elsewhere um, in Hong Kong and the rest of Asia. So um it seems like Donnie and um, Wilson, even though It Man Free was supposed to be the last film, right? I think it sort of sort of went in that direction. But um, yeah, it seems like um, 
yeah, Don, Wilson and Donnie ha- just can't get enough um, of it, man. And uh, yeah, they're going back for a fourth film. Uh, no other details been announced. No idea when it's going to production. No idea what what the stages of production is at the moment. But um, yeah, now we know it's going to be made. Okay, and uh, this time he'll be fighting LeBron James. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh yeah, they have to figure out what the big foreigner yeah, who's going to be foreigner who's gonna top Mike Tyson, right? I mean, uh, how uh, do you top Mike Tyson? And I mean, the thing is, the Max Jang fight that was a hell of a fight, and that's that was you know a hell of a fight. And let's forget Mike Tyson, but I thought it ended the, the whole franchise in a you know, nice little nice little bow. I mean, it's not a great film, but it man, it man, films have never been that great in my opinion. So um, it was fine. It was okay as a wrap up to the trilogy, so I don't know why they even bother. Maybe, maybe what they'll do is, you know, at the end of It Man Four, they'll morph Donnie so that he becomes, so that he looks like Anthony Wong, right? <laughs> I, I'm just wondering when It Man or It Man versus Jason. Oh, there you go. Yeah, It Man, uh, the Revenge. All right, uh, final bit of news. Oh, and uh, you, you mentioned uh, that uh, Donnie was working on an Andy Lau film with Wong Jing. Uh, speaking of Wong Jing, because this is kind of around the time that we've usually heard something, um, any any news on a Vegas to Macau 4? No, right? Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I'm guessing because Wong Jing's working on this, uh, he's not going to be doing uh, Vegas to Macau 4. Um, so the trilogy has even... ended. God, I hope so. Even even Charon Fat has said they didn't really want to do them anymore. Mm. I think he, he sort of secretly told, like he just sort of laugh it off when people ask him about Vegas from Vegas to Macau. I think I read somewhere that he's like, yeah, um, yeah, I I don't think I'll be doing these anymore. So I, I think if if he can't get Charon Fat to say yes to any more of those, there's no point in doing from Vegas to Macau. So um, now he's doing a, a remake of Lee Rock. With Andy Lau and Donnie, uh, mm. that's chasing the dragon. So there has you go. There, has there been any any news of coming uh, Chinese New Year films for Hong Kong of yet? Um, no specific news. I there's some rumble that um, some of the films that will be included is the Trey Hart directed um, uh, Journey to the West sequel that's produced by Stephen Chow. It's about the right time. That's one of the films. Um, Apparently, the, the Wong Kar Wai produced film, Ferryman, will have an announcement tomorrow uh, here in, uh, on the internet, on the internet, and that may be one of the contenders. I'm not sure. There's also the um, Derek Kwok-directed Journey to the West film, um, the one with Eddie Pang. Uh, that's also a contender. Um, the Great Wall with Matt Damon was supposed to be released around that time, but now it's been moved forward to um, actually just after Christmas, December 29th, so that's that's out of the running. But uh, Apple Daily sort of had a, had a small roundup of, of potential New Year films um, and uh, no Wong Jing as far as I know. All right. Well, yeah. as, the, as the holiday draws closer, we'll be sure to let all you listeners know what's going to be on the Chinese New Year 2017 palette. Final bit of news this week, uh, Hong Kong Netflix. Yeah, th- in this week's uh, Netflix update, uh, so to speak. Um uh, yeah, um, I was checking Netflix a few weeks ago, and suddenly someone told me that um, that Netflix has added a Chinese film, and it was actually um, Pao Chen's Bulgaria. So Bulgaria is actually the first um, 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 uh, Chinese film to land on on Netflix Hong Kong. 
uh, which is kind of cool. And then it seems like that uh, Netflix has um, uh, uh, done a deal with um, uh, Netflix to sort of release some of their the films they own locally. So there has been a big influx of sort of Golden Scene owned uh, local um, uh, Western titles here in Hong Kong. And then just last week, um, Netflix really added a few more Chinese films, and they're all produced by Sony. So it seems like they've also cleared a, a, a deal with Sony to, to upload um, um, their films, including the Chinese films. So last week we saw Jump, the, the film directed by Stephen Fung, um, Missing Gun, the Lu Chuan film, um, Monk Comes Down the Mountain, the, the Chiang Kai-ge film, um, and... Um, and also a Chinese film called One False Step or something like that. But uh, these are these seems to be only in Hong Kong at the moment, uh, nowhere else. So it seems like Netflix has sort of cleared this deal with local distributors to, to start putting on their films, and which is a great start. Um, I think finally we see some sort of local selections here. And Missing Gun, not many people know that film here in Hong Kong, so I'm glad they cleared that deal as well. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a great first step, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully some of this will start to spill over to um, other netflix markets as well well you in in america you guys got a lot better you guys got the china line deals you got the netflix um sorry wellgo deals you guys got the bodyguard already samu hong film um so you guys are getting actually more updated stuff along the way and i'm not not just not just chinese stuff and asian stuff as well asian stuff that we don't even get to see here so so um yeah you guys still have a pretty good america well you know one of the things that that has started to happen is a lot of the a lot of well at least like i noticed on amazon is they're doing specialization specialized sort of specialized subscriptions now within their streaming app so of course you can still get prime stuff but now they have all these sort of sub channels like stars and this one that i i did a trial for called CISO that would let me see uh like current saturday night live stuff and they've got a lot of like other like monty python stuff and these are all like you know mini subscriptions, so two ninety nine or three ninety nine a month. And I think it'd be really neat if at some point Netflix or Amazon or you know one of these other providers could sort of compile a China or Japan or Asian based you know sort of mini app that you could subscribe to and get a lot of this content you know maybe sooner than it would pop up in other places. Um, do, don't you still have a Hong Kong iTunes account, Paul? Yes, I do. Or did you ever have one? No, I, yeah, um, I still have one. Yeah, I, I haven't checked lately, but um, um, I think that there, you know, there may be more sort of local films coming on there as 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 long as Apple start to clear more um, of these distribution deal. I think iTunes Store will more likely have newer films than say netflix and i I would suggest that you keep uh, checking the hong kong itunes as well yeah yeah i'll keep an eye on that all right that's going to do it for our news this week we'll be back after this short musical interlude to have our film reviews first up a chinese odyssey 3 
And welcome back. Back to the sort of old format where we used to do a West Screen Film and an East Screen Film. So we've got two film reviews this week. Up first, Kevin's going to tell us about the sequel to the Chinese Odyssey series. Yes, the famous sort of Stephen Chow-helmed Chinese Odyssey films. Now, of course, not anything to do with Stephen Chow. But we have director Jeff Lau bringing us A Chinese Odyssey Part 3. Now, this is done through primarily... Uh, China as a sort of China film, but though it does have some Hong Kong connections like action director Corey Yun and Karen Mock and Julian Chung also have roles in the film. The script and director, both, as I said, uh, uh, Jeff Lau, who I tend to like sometimes as a director. I mean, if we go back through a little bit of his uh, uh, director filmography, you know, things like uh, East Meets West in 2011, um, his mainland China film, I like, Lock Me Up, Tie Him Down, I thought that was good, but he's also got some films that might, you know, some people might consider fallen flat. He's returned to this sort of comedic well, uh, touching on the Chinese Odyssey series a few times before. We've got, uh, 2005, he did, of course, uh, a Chinese tall story with, um, Charlene Choi and Nick Tse. Uh, then a couple years later, he's got just another Pandora's box in 2010 with, um, I think that was, uh, Ronald Cheng. And, and I kind of like that one, um, a lot. Um, he did one that I haven't seen yet in 2014 called Just Another Margin, which, with, I think, with, uh, I think Ekin Cheng was in that, um, where he's, you know, again, going back to sort of the, the, the historic, you know, water margin tales, but, you know, trying to do it in in the comedic vein. And so here we have A Chinese Odyssey. Now, this was a film that I knew was coming uh, before I moved back to the States, and I was hopeful that I'd get a chance to see it, but I did not. And maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Kevin, what do you have to tell us about this? Yeah, so like you said, Jeff Blau has sort of been milking this this cash cow for years. Um, um, The Chinese Odyssey films, the the Stephen Chow ones, were... um, cult hits in China, um, as in they didn't do well in the cinemas, but afterwards it sort of gained a lot of fans um, um, with video release and TV and whatever, it gained a huge fan. So Jeff Lau has sort of been, he's been sort of beating around the bush trying not to make a continuation by doing these sort of spin-off tales. Um, like you, you named all the films already, I think, right? Just in their Pandora's box, or you got um, the, the one with Nick Say, right? Yeah. Um, and all those stuff. So this one, I think he's finally got pushed to make that direct sequel, and that's A Chinese Odyssey Part 3. Um, as the title suggests, this is a direct sequel to those Stephen Chow films, which is all the more weird because the cast has been completely changed except for a few of the, the Hong Kong actors. Um, the story. So after witnessing the tragic outcome of her love with the Monkey King, um, which leads to his forced abandonment of all his human desires. Ji Sha, who was played by um, Athena Chu in the original, now played by Tiffany Tang, returns to her timeline to stop Joker, now played by Hong Gang, originally played by Stephen Chow, um, from falling out in love with her. To do this, she tries to get the Bull King to marry her, setting her and Joker on another crazy adventure. Um, so... Like I said just now, um, Jeff Lau was pretty much financially obligated to do this film. Um, I, I've been told that that man has like contracts signed and and he, he has movies to deliver and this is one of them. And he has a few more to deliver as far as I know. He's going to keep working in China um, regardless of the quality of, of his output. And this film did apparently did okay. So 
I'm worried that he might get asked to do a fourth one, and I hope not. Um, so it really does connect directly from the original two-part film. They even recreate, I think, the final scene of the of uh, of the original film, the second part, um, the one on the top of the the, the city with Stephen Chow and Athena Chu. Uh, and they recreate that scene with, except with sort of Hong Gan and Tiffany Tang or the new stars. Uh, so you better do some studying. Um, this is sort of a, they, they sort of count on you caring enough about the story because it doesn't really have a beginning. It just sort of goes on. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't care less about it. Nothing really worked for me. Um, it, it, the film was shot in Mandarin, but of course, Jeff Lau has been, you know, caring enough for the Hong Kong audience to get it dubbed into, you know, Mole Tao, sort of Hong Kong Cantonese. And even then, that didn't really work. Even when you had you know, people like like Karen Mock and Julian Chung coming back, and well, not Julian Chung, but Karen Mock comes back um, doing a sort of I think similar or same role, uh, and then you know there's some sort of co- a, a Cantonese comedy shtick with her and Julian Chung. Um, even that didn't really work, and it was especially odd um, because first of all, you got a direct continuation to a story, but with completely different faces. You have a hot frob uh, now in Stephen Chow's role. Um, Hong Gan, who is so not as talented as Stephen Chow, um, doing it. And it's even weirder because one Chow, who we know, um, he's the actor who's famous for having been able to emulate Stephen Chow's voice perfectly, he dubs Hong Gang. So you have this guy who sounds like Stephen Chow, but you have this guy who doesn't look anything like Stephen Chow playing that character. So, so it's a very odd, like, I couldn't get it past that, like... Does Stephen Chow get a plastic surgery or something? Like, people who wouldn't get it would be confused. Like, why did he get Stephen Chow to dub this guy? Why did he just get Stephen Chow to play it? Would it's it, because would, Stephen Chow is not in the film. Would it have been better if they would have actually cast Wen Chow? No, because Wen Chow doesn't... First of all, Wen Chow's not a name that would have gotten any box office. Um, uh, because they were Hong Kong, they, they cast a, a hot frog because of money. So so there was no way that Wen Chow was going to step into that role. And and having one Chow in the role again is really weird because Stephen Chow is such a iconic sort of actor or such an iconic role for him that if you're gonna change the actor's face, you might as well change the voice, you might as well change his whole mannerism because it's another you can't emulate Stephen Chow and expect people to just sort of swallow it and doesn't and don't and not ask where Stephen Chow because people are gonna be like where Stephen Chow. So um, to me, it was very, very odd. Um, and Tiffany Tang, it, it, she, I've seen her in Bounty Hunters. I've seen her in NBA Partners. I've, and this is a third film that I've seen her in, I think. And I just cannot, I, I just cannot get her popularity. She's apparently quite popular from TV series and stuff like that. But um, um, I, she just doesn't have any charisma. And she doesn't have any... I don't want to use the word likability because apparently politically correctness um, dictates that I can't use the word likable, especially for female actress. So um, she's just not a very charismatic actress, and she's not a a very doesn't really have a screen presence. Um, and the same goes for Hong Gan. I have to say, I mean, I'm not trying to just say Tiffany Tang pick on her, but Hong Gan also is just not a very good comedic actor and you got these two people who are clearly cast just for money um or for box office doing these roles that they're not really fit to do um tiffany tank does not have the charm of athena chu nor does hong Gan have the 
ta- comedic talent of Stephen Chow, and that's that's the truth. Um, and after all that stuff, after that, you know, the silly comedy stuff, it sort of becomes this this un uninspired CGI fest. And this is something that Jeff Lau has done in the last decade and a half, and ever since ever since he discovered a computer. Um, in in, a, in the first Chinese Odyssey films, they're really cool because you, they did all these practical effects, so it sort of added to the weirdness of the whole thing. But because now everything is done quicker and cheaper on computers, um, um, Jeff Lau just sort of obsessed with using these these really fake CGI from the next say Chinese Odyssey film up to to uh, Cyborg, uh, the Cyborg movie, up to this. It just seems like whenever he gives up on the material, he sort of just lets his story, you know fall into this big cgi fest and and it was just boring um so the only thing that's kind of close to inspiration is wu jing um playing the monk the the role that that um 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 guy what's his name lo kai ying uh plays so well um he's doing the monk here and and he shows up a couple of times to talk to the monkey king yeah monkey king shows up again um there's a side plot about how uh, something happened in heaven. There was a mistake in the records, so they had to get a Monkey King lookalike to pretend to be the Monkey King on Earth, so that the heavenly, the heavenly king um, doesn't have to get in trouble for a mistake under heavenly records. That's sort of the the more inspired concept of the film, um, and that's where uh, Wu Jing shows up as a monk. He was almost funny just because it's Wu Jing, and you know he takes himself so seriously that it's kind of funny to see him play being silly. Um, does, but does he sing uh, the song? He sings the song, I uh. think, but he doesn't sing the song the way Lo Kaying. He kind of does, but it sort of just shows up as like a scene transition. He doesn't actually sing it on screen. He just, it just sort of, it's like what a fan service thing. Like, oh wait, it's time to bring out only you, so we have to bring it out. So it's just sort of done as, as a scene transition, not as like a serious scene. Mm. Um, so the thing is, I usually laugh at even bad. Jeff Lau films, even like I think Cyborg, I might have laughed one once or twice. I really like East Meets West, even though a lot of people didn't like it. I really liked the first half of that film, and I, I laughed quite a bit at it. I did not crack a smile once in this entire thing. I was just tired, and it it was tiring, and I was I was tired, and the whole time just asking myself like, Have you had enough? Seriously, has it? Is it enough? Like, just get this out of your system and move on already. Like. I know you think the Chinese audience, your bosses think the Chinese audience wants this. You think the Chinese audiences want this. Um, I do not want this, and I'm pretty sure by the steep drop in box office that the Chinese audiences don't really want this either. So, yeah, um, it's enough. Enough is enough. I, I this is one of my worst films of the year. I think. Did uh, Karen and Jillian do their own dubbing, or? They did, they did their own dubbing, uh, but they only appeared in about two scenes. So it's a very quick cameo, practically a cameo. Um, and their sequence, again, was really just not that funny. Do you think it may have worked better in the Mandarin dub? Do you think it was sing sound? No, I think Jeff Lau is better when he works in Cantonese. Um, I don't expect the Mandarin material to be any better. Um, because I think you use some slangs and things like that. But the thing is, like I said, the two stars just aren't that charismatic in the first place that they're not really comedic stars and i doubt that hearing their voices would have helped um so for me it just nothing really worked in this film i don't think anything that mandarin being a mandarin would have fixed it East green, West green.
let us move on to our West Screen film for the week. And yes, we are doing a West Screen film once again. It's been a long time since we've done sort of this old format. Uh, but we're going to talk about the film that the first film that I saw coming back statesides and one that I I don't I wouldn't say I regretted it, but I got very long sidelong glances from my wife because she had no idea what I was taking her to see. <laughs> um, when we went into the film, and by the end of it, she was uh, she was not too pleased. I would say, uh, wondering what did she in fact just watch? And and to be kind of honest, I kind of knew what I was going in for, but I was also asking myself the same question. So, Sausage Party is a, a CGI animated film, uh, and this comes from the comedic minds of people like uh, Seth Rogen and others. Uh, Evan Goldberg and others who've worked together with him before, um, both as writers and producers. This is directed by Conrad Vernon, an animation director who has uh, quite a few credits in various positions, both in terms of speaking roles, but also behind the scenes um, as uh, director and storyboard artist for things like uh, Madagascar, Flushed Away, um, he's directed Monsters vs. Aliens, the 2009 DreamWorks film, which um, I really enjoyed. I think that film's slightly underrated. Um, he's also directed uh, the third Madagascar film, and he directed and produced this. Um, he, there is a co-director on the film with uh, a guy named Greg uh, Tiernan, and this is kind of his uh, debut uh, in the director's seat. He's also got a bit of an animation background. The film itself, if I were to describe it, uh, is basically this. It's a hot dog who learns the truth of his existence and the purpose of food and tries to warn the rest of the supermarket food when, uh, you know, he learns of this reality. And all the while attempting to get with the bun of his dreams. So, yeah, think Toy Story, but with food, drugs, and sex, right? This is sort of the modus operandi, I guess, of... Um, Seth Rogen and uh, his fellow creators. If you've seen a movie like This Is the End, you know, um, where it's it's that kind of humor, you know, there's a lot of innuendo, there's a lot of talk about drugs. It does go into some crazy places. It has its funny moments, but that's the kind of thing that you're going to get in terms of humor. If that's not for you, this is probably a film that's definitely not for you. The ideas here are clever, and I think some of the food humor is good, right? When they get away from a lot of the F-bombs and the sexual innuendo, which gets, for me, gets old really, really quickly. Because um, I think they really overdo it. But they have some actual food humor that's really good. There's some things that I think people might find offensive, so the food is all ethnically, you know, based. You've got people, you know, like Salma Hayek doing the voice of a taco shell. Um, you've got uh, other people. Um, uh, Edward Norton, I think, does the voice of a bagel. And he does it in sort of this Woody Allen-esque. He does a really good Woody Allen impression. I, I, I will say that. I was surprised to see that he, he was, you know, um, doing the voice. You've also got... Um, uh, a number of people who've worked with Seth Rogen before, of course. You've got people like James Franco here, Craig Robinson, um, people from SNL, so Kristen Wiig, uh, Bill Hader uh, throw in voices, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Sarah has, uh, does some voice work. So it's got a really big and, and well-known cast doing the voice work for this. Um, but 
I do have to say that this is a very rated R film and there is a very rated R payoff at the end of this film. Some people will find it funny, but listen when I tell you, please, 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 please do not show this film to kids. Okay. And I'm talking to you, parents that I saw taking their kids to Deadpool because they said, hey, it's a comic book movie. How bad can it be? Right. I'm sure there are parents who are going to look at this and say, hey, it's an animated film. How bad can it be? This is not a film for kids. All right. Um, and this isn't a film. Again, it's it's you know, it's in a very small genre. You know, it's in that genre of rated R cartoons. And it's especially, you know, small for the CG animation niche itself. Right. I, I think this might actually be among the first American productions to do a full-on hard R produced CG animation. I, there might be a title or two I'm forgetting that might have gone direct to video, but I think in terms of theatrical release, um, this is kind of an outlier. So it's worth checking out just for that. The idea of them sort of pushing the envelope, much like movies in the 70s did, uh, 70s and 80s, things like Fritz the Cat, and heavy metal, right? What they were doing, you know, by pushing the boundaries of 2D animation, moving away from sort of the realm of Saturday morning cartoons and what Disney did and saying, look, we can take cartoons and we can make them very adult and they can be well-crafted and entertaining, but they can also be offensive to people who might not want to see that kind of thing necessarily. So this is very much in that realm. And because of its newness, because of the fact that it is pushing that boundary, I think it's a very worthwhile film. For me personally, as I said, I don't necessarily gel with the humor of Seth Rogen. Um, there tends to be a lot of, you know, the idea of about just getting stoned and then F-bomb, 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 and lots of sexual innuendo. Again, you've seen this in This is the End, um, the interview, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times there's some great humor bits that get away from that. But for me, there's just a little bit too much reliance on those sort of tired tropes as the humor. And that works for a lot of people out there because this film did really well. It made bank. I think the numbers that I looked at said it was like in the, um, you know, it was like around 18 or 19 million to make in terms of budget. And the box office was up in the, you know, 130 million or so range. So I'd be very surprised if it doesn't get a sequel, um, and I expect a sequel. And narratively, they kind of alluded to a sequel, though that would be a very kind of different and weird film. Though I'd be very interesting to see if they go and take it to that territory. Um, but again, I mean, this is a film that I think on its own for what it's doing with the genre uh, is worth seeing. But be prepared to be offended um, in, in one way or another. <laughs> because these guys, you know, they, 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 they really pull no punches. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a prude. <laughs> you know, I, I do love Disney cartoons. I love, you know, things like the Madagascar movies and that kind of stuff. I love being able to watch that. But I enjoy adult material, too. I'm a big fan of South Park. Um, it's just, for me, I think the Seth Rogen style of humor, it, there's a lot of redundancy to it in, in what they do and what they try to push for humor. But still, there's a lot of originality here, too. It's very easily, as, as I said, to draw the parallels to, you know, Toy Story, um, because, again, it's, you know, the idea of something that's typically seen as inanimate coming to life and having the re realization of having a life and then realizing sort of their place in the world and the world that they create i think is fun and it's interesting um, and there's more to it than 
just the F-bombs and the innuendo, but there's a lot of that spaced uh, throughout the film. Uh, Kevin, you saw this, right? They had they actually showed this in Hong Kong? Um, it's not coming out in Hong Kong yet, but I did see it in the States last oh, time okay. I was there. Yeah, so when you had your ago. trip, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're a prude, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll wear that badge. Dude. I I liked it. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, this this I don't want to spoil it, but the whole setup with the bagel and the uh, and his enemy and the Woody Allen voice and the outcome of that whole thing. It was just I'm sorry, I found that really funny. That, that was good. That was good. But in in some ways, I mean, um, you know, one of the comments of my that my wife had was because they go to sort of some of the different ethnic food aisles, and they're in an aisle and like the soy sauce. It was, um, you know, obviously had an Asian voice doing, yeah. or, or it was at least an Asian accent. I don't know if it was an Asian, actual Asian voice actor uh, doing this voice, very sort of Asian-esque voice for the soy sauce, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> Asian English. I mean, you know, and I was thinking like, okay, so the the, the falafel, was it a, was he a falafel or, or what was it? He was some kind of rap <laughs> thing. Yeah, you know, and, but he, he, had, he very much had this, you know, Middle Eastern kind of accent to him. And then, you know, obviously doing the sort of Woody Allen, Jewish American accent for the bagel. You know, I again, you can find humor in that. But I think some people are going to look at that and go PC. I'm not doing that. You know, I, I laughed. You know, it was funny. I liked I liked the way that they sort of, you know, did this world that did, did this world building. That to me was far more funny when they got away from the continuous, you know, innuendo of the bun and the wiener kind of thing. Um, and then just, you know, the F-bombs every other moment. That that kind of writing I found funny. I found that, you know, that world building very, very funny. But I could see how some people would look at that and go, stereotype, offensive, you know, because that's the kind of politically correct world we live in. The, these guys want to rage against that. The South Park guys do that, and I think they do a very good job in terms of writing that. It can be very clever. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the thing is, yeah, I could go all PC if they only had picked on a certain race, if they just picked on Asians or whatever, but it seems like it was a sort of equal opportunity offender kind of thing. Like, everyone sort of get like, the whole thing of the German sausage, like, hating juice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the funniest thing I've heard in like a yeah, long, was... <laughs> like a long time. Um, so and, and the whole thing sort of turns into this really brilliant existential thing about existence, right? And and the ending it just sort of really twisted. Um, I, I I really liked it. I think. Um, and and yeah, I I don't really have much more. It's really funny, and yeah, it's it does get a bit tiresome. And yeah, the whole like eating turns out eating food thing wasn't quite. Um, didn't go really beyond what we've seen in the trailer. I wish it had, um, but but yes, yeah, so I wish they did. They didn't show so much of it in the advertising in the promotion. But um, no, it was re- it was very very funny, and I laughed a lot. And it was clever. It was very clever. Like they were trying to make, like Seth Rogen said, they were trying to make a Pixar film for adults yes. um, with a really messed up idea. And I think they mostly pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, in that context, again, I think it pushes the envelope. It takes this form that we're used to seeing, and it goes in a very different place. And you know, so uh, you know, well, what's the what's the one that South Park guys did with the dolls? Um, Team America, America. Team America. You know, it's a similar kind of idea. You know, taking something that's typically seen as for a very different genre, a very di- different demographic, and taking it, you know, to the extreme. And I 
am very sure that this film would probably end up as a cult film um, down the road. And I, I again, I'd go see a sequel if they bring one out. But at the same time, I do want to throw out that warning. Don't think, oh, it's animation. I'm going to show it to my kids because it is definitely not for your kids. So uh, you, you have been warned, people. And, uh, and it just irks me when I see when I go into a movie like Deadpool or something and I see people bringing kids in because they make that assumption. They just think, oh, it's, you know, you know, not going to be bad because this is pretty bad. <laughs> Um, bad in the sense that it's very adult, not a bad movie uh, by uh, you know any sense of the any 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 other means. I do get the I do get the idea that though that they were probably very baked when they came up with this idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, because this the, like just like with this is the end, it really uh, it, it's got it's got that sensibility to it that they were just sitting around and throwing out ideas and looking at food and going oh, the food's talking or something. <laughs> They're like, hey, let's make that a script, you know. Um, and that's actually something that kind of gets written into there. And I think uh, James Franco has a very funny, fun sort of uh, short cameo. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. So, yeah, check it out. Just be on, you know, be, be on the awares that this is uh, not your average movie. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Yeboah of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily LoveHKFilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us via the website at Concast.com. You can check us out on Twitter. That is Twitter.com slash Concast. You can email us at EastScreen at gmail.com. And you can find us over on Facebook at EastSWestS. I'd also urge you to follow along with Kevin because he's over there in that very cool place we call Hong Kong. Uh, Kevin, where can they find out more about what you're up to? Um, well, my day job is um, at the entertainment editor of Discovery Magazine and uh, Sick Road Magazine uh, on Cathay Pacific Airways and on uh, Cathay Dragon Airways. Um, you can read Discovery Magazine on your iPad by looking for the Discovery iPad app in your app store. Um, the November issue is... Oh, no, only October, sorry. The October issue, I cover um, uh, Taste of Youth, the local documentary, and Maggie Lee, our film critic, covers um, blah, 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 um, two films, um, two not really mainstream stuff. I can't go oh, family fang and a Japanese film called a cold eye family. So uh, be sure to check it out on our, uh, on the iPad app. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm in at the golden rock. Um, that's one word, the golden rock. And I've been quite active lately because I am at the Hong Kong Asian film festivals. I'm watching, um, a lot of films. Um, you can also email me at the golden rock at gmail.com. If you want to ask me about anything or, uh, uh, tell me to shut up and uh, not talk about movies anymore. Um, there you go. All right, excellent. Our next show, episode 208. Uh, what do you think we'll be talking about from the Hong Kong side of things? 
I think we were talking about Wong Jing earlier, and I think uh, it's time to talk about his latest opus, um, Mr. Milano. Oh, yes, this is the one that uh, the poster kind of looks like Switch, right? That's right, with uh, Andy Lau and Huang Xiaoming. All right, we'll look forward to that. Uh, on the West screen side of things, I'm not sure. I've got to take a look at uh, what between what I've seen and what's coming. Uh, I see that we've got Boo, a Medea Halloween getting released this week. So uh, maybe I'll talk about that. <laughs> So just, couldn't we just talk about couldn't we just talk about the Ben Affleck movie or something, Paul? <laughs> or Mendeficent Seven, which is kind of an Asian film? Can we just do that? Uh, yeah, well, we'll I'll, I'll figure out something between now and then, something I can get out and watch. Okay. Um, so, yeah, all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing, be it on the East Side or the West Side, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody, and stay dry. Ah! Uh-huh.